do not do this to me. There we go. See, it takes about, it takes about three or four minutes to go from Adam to Batman. So you just have to work with me here. Let me get my water too. I just feel frazzled this morning. Can I tell you all that? I'm just, I feel totally frazzled. I hate that. If you want to, why don't you open up your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, I'm going to have the scriptures up so that you can read them on the big screen. But it's important that if you have a Bible, to find it so that your own eyes can see where it is in your own Bible. We're going to call this talk this morning, Made for Demonstration, all right? Uh, If you remember last week, I was um, just outlining some of the things I feel like that this year is going to be about for us as a community. And uh, one one of the major things I feel like that this is, that this year, 2010, is going to be about for this community here at the Vineyard is that this is going to be a year where we, where we, where we become, uh, we, where we take a significant step into being demonstrators of the kingdom. And I'd like to, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to put that against the notion of, uh, of, 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 of being the kind of person who is simply, uh, the kind of person who is simply a, a proclaimer of the kingdom. We, we don't want to be people who just have kingdom message. Kingdom message will do some people a little bit of good. The thing that the world really needs is kingdom demonstration married with kingdom message. Amen? See, one of the things I found about the Lord is, um, is when you, anytime you read through the Gospels, you can't turn the page without seeing kingdom demonstration. Jesus didn't go anywhere and just tell people what's up. He showed them what was up. And when he was showing them what was up, it was as much of the message as anything that he said. See, uh, the most famous sermon in, in, all, in all of the Bible is... Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. You guys know that. We've been over it. It's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. But the context for the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 4. The very last paragraph in, Mer- in, in Matthew chapter 4 is the context for the entire Sermon on the Mount. What is that last paragraph? We've looked at it. The last paragraph basically is a summary, and I didn't put it up this week, but I'll just give you the summary on it, and you can go back home and look. But the last paragraph in Matthew chapter 4 talks about the fact that Jesus broke off a healing revival there in, up in northern, uh, northern Israel. And while he broke off a healing revival, people started coming to him from everywhere. Crowds started to gather to him because he was healing the sick. He was getting rid of those who were oppressed by devils. He was curing fevers. He was, just a, he was a traveling revival show everywhere he went. People came to him. Such a large crowd gathered to him that he finally stopped and he began to teach them. So what's the context for hearing teaching from Jesus? The context for teaching, hearing teaching and instruction from Jesus is experience with Jesus, and it's the experience that comes from the demonstration of the gospel. So here's the deal. A lot of people can stand up and tell tell other people that that the the kingdom of heaven is the best thing for them. we We talk about that all the time, that the kingdom of heaven is the best thing for you. Here's the deal. Here's what the Lord wants to do this year. He wants to release the people who can show everyone that the kingdom of heaven is the best thing for them. Amen? All right, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about being made for demonstration. Because here's the deal. You guys were made for demonstration. I'm going to read you some scripture here. Starting in Genesis, we're going to look at three verses here and then parse some things out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. How many people in the, ha- in the room have ever built a house? How many people have ever built anything? How, how, many, how, many, how many young guys in the room have ever built a Lego set? Yeah, if you haven't built a house, you've at least built a Lego house, right? I figured. Yeah. See, when you build a house, the first thing you do is you get a plan together. And Richard, Richard pointed that out to me a couple of weeks ago, and I've taken note of that. The first thing you do when you're building a house is you get a plan together. And hopefully it's a good plan because the plan is going to lead you in the direction that you should go. Not only is it going to lead you in the direction that you should go, but it's going to be something that you refer to over and over again in the building of the process that is putting your house together. I remember when we built our house, we had this rough plan. It wasn't much of a plan. It was basically one sheet, but it was a plan. And, and Justin and Richard, they went to it constantly. They were, they were constantly grabbing their tape measures, going to the plan, working the math, going, going into the, the subfloor that we had laid out and making what was on the plan a reality. There's something about a plan. You have to start with a plan. It points you in the right directions. And um, uh, what I want to tell you this, this morning is this, is that when God created the heavens and the earth, and when he created you and I, he had a plan. Okay? And it's one of the reasons I wanted to come all the way back to Genesis. Because the scripture that we just read this morning, it gives us insight into God's plan. And it gives us insight into God's plan for you and what he would have you do. Okay? Not only that, how many of you are, are aware of the fact that when a general goes to war, he has a battle plan? Yeah, you, you, would never, you would never just take hundreds of thousands of troops and tanks and guns and bullets and go to war without a plan, right? It would be foolishness. It would be foolishness. And while I was thinking of battle plans, I remembered this one. You guys remember this battle plan? Who knows what this battle plan is? That's the battle plan from home alone. See, here's the deal. There's, you you got to start with a plan. And if your plan is right, you can, you can, you can kick some major butt. I, I love it. Like, the Internet is a wonder. I, I had this thought yesterday. I wanted to get the battle plan from home alone. I, I ran one search, and in one second I had it. I mean, how does that work? Like, Kevin, Kevin's got the, the heavy cans, you know? And y'all remember the scene. Like, he didn't just plan the heavy cans, but when the guys came up, the, came up those steps, what did they get? They got the heavy can in the face, right? Yeah, here's the deal. It all starts with planning. And, and here's what I want to say this morning is that, is that God, God is a planner, and he's had a plan for you, and he's had a plan for me, and this is a year of demonstration. And the thing I want to tell you is this. He's had it in his heart and in his mind for you to be a person of demonstration from the very beginning. I want to build a little context around the scripture that we just read. See, when God was, um, when God went about the the work of, of creating everything that we that we know and have experienced in life. He started off, and, um, he started off by creating light. And, he, and he, when, he, when he created it, he just spoke it. It was just, it was just it was an act of his will. As soon as the thought hit his mind, however that works when you're God, 
I, I've tried to think about it some this week, and I, I couldn't come up with a good way to say it other than that. But somehow, in the mind of God, he thought, well, I'm going to have some light, and he spoke it, and light happened. And he went through this process of days, and, and, and through the days, he began to create everything that we've experienced. And by the time we get to the scripture that we just read, it's, the, it's been five days of creation. And so it's on the sixth day that God creates man. And by the time we get to the point where God is creating man, the thing that I want you to keep in mind this morning is that this is God's, this is God's masterpiece. It's his masterwork. He, he, has been, he has been busy and hard at work. Everything that's been in his mind has come out into reality. And by the time he gets ready to create man, he has created what would be not just another step of creation, but he's created, he's created his, his masterwork. It's, his, it's, it's the pinnacle of his work. And one of the ways we know that is, um, it's just from this scripture here. It's uh, Genesis 1.31. He said, God said this. He said, when, when, when God saw all that he had made, meaning everything, all, all the plants, all the animals, the earth, light, the heavens, the stars, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Up to this point, God, God, when God was creating, he had said that everything that he created was good. But when he made man, what did he say? Right here. It was very good. Man, there's something about mankind. There's something about people. It's not just good, but it's very good. That's one of those things we need, to, we need to get into contact with as a person. Because there's so much of life that presses down upon us, and it presses down upon us in a way that communicates to us that humanity is bad. And specifically, you're bad. Okay? And, and one of the things we need to come into contact with again is the fact that when God was creating the heavens and the earth, it was good. But when he created man and woman, it wasn't just good. It was very good. It was a dream in his heart. And there's something about mankind that takes creation from good to very good. I want to look at verse 26 specifically here. Let's look at this again. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. First thing I want to talk to you about is this little phrase there at the very beginning of verse 26, let us. If you've got a, a pen or a pencil, I want you to, to mark that, underline it, circle, mark that out for yourself because it's important. See, here's the deal. When God was creating everything that we know, he created it. It was a thought in his mind. He spoke it. Out it came. When God began to create man and woman, when he began to create mankind, it wasn't just a solo work. But look, God takes counsel with himself. Isn't that strange? Look at the beginning there, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. See, when God began to create mankind, it wasn't just God the Father, but God the, God the Father took counsel with Jesus the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and it was a collective partnership in creation. You can look back through the rest of the chapter 1. There's not a collective partnership ever mentioned in any other part of creation, even though they're there, but God took counsel with himself. It says something about says something about what God wanted to establish on the earth. The manner that he created us says something about what God wanted to establish. Let me put it that way. Let me go another step further. See, here's the deal. God had community within himself when he, was, when he went about creating man and woman. And what God is wanting to do here is, God has taken counsel within himself. He's decided to create man and woman. And when he did that, what he is saying is, I want to establish community upon the earth. See, creation, the creation of people, creation of mankind, it was a community event, and it was a community event that was within the, the heart of God, and God's intention was to take the community that is in heaven to plant it on the earth 
Can you see that? You ever wonder why, why people are attracted to one another? You ever wonder why people, uh, you ever wonder why the, the worst torture that we can come up with someone is solitude? It's, it's because we were created within the framework of community. Um, when, 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 um, when people want to torture other people, they do all kinds of things to them. Sometimes they'll get a, they'll get a cane out and they'll, they'll beat them. You know, you guys have all seen the Bourne movies. That, you know, they'll, they'll hook things to you and they'll shock you to death. You know, they do everything. But you know, you know the, the first thing that will totally dissociate a person quicker than any other thing? Break him out of community, put him in solitude. You know how to do that? And, and this, is, this is one of the, the, the torture, effect, uh, torture techniques that they found to be most effective. Take a person out of community, put them in solitude, cover their eyes so they can't see anything, cover their ears so they can't hear anything, cover their hands so they can't feel anything. It totally breaks a person down. In less than a day, that person is completely broken down and begins to dissociate from what, even what it means to be a human. Why? Because we were made, we were created within the heart of God for community. We need each other. We need to hear each other. We just, just to hear somebody's footsteps down the hall, to know that you're planted within the context of community. It's one of the reasons we have a banner for it over there. It's, it's, it's part and parcel with who we are. So God, God created mankind within the context of community, and his intent was that the, that the community of heaven would break out of heaven and they would come into the earth. So we're back to demonstration. We're called to be people of demonstration this, this year. We're called to be people who, who have more than a message, but we're called to be people who, who live in demonstration. What is it that God wants us to demonstrate this year? God wants us to demonstrate the superior quality of the community that is the kingdom of heaven. It was his original intent. It was his original purpose. It was his original plan. How many of you know that most people that you meet during the day are lonely people? Here's the deal. You can be with people 24-7 and still be lonely. It has something to do with fellowship. You were created within the context of community. You were created within the context of fellowship. And that's what God wants us to impart into this year. He wants us to demonstrate and bring that out of heaven out of, out of a concept that's far off and he wants us to bring it near. That's why God blessed them in verse 28. When he speaks to them, he, he blesses them and he says, be fruitful and increase in number. F- f- fill the earth and subdue it. He's wanting to, he's wanting to establish that community. Back to verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Have you guys ever wondered what it meant to be made and created in the image and likeness of God? Anybody ever read that verse and go, man, what's that sort of about? What's it, what's it like to be, what does it mean to be made in the image and in the likeness of God? We're going to look at that here just for a few minutes. If you want to, just take your, take your Bible and I want you to underline in verse 26 that that phrase, image and likeness. Those two words are essentially two words that are getting across the same idea, image and likeness. It's sort of a poetic way of, of communicating that, that God wanted to make us like him. Here's what image means. When God said, when God said image, when God said image and likeness, 
the word image there, it, it, it calls to mind in the Hebrew, it calls to mind uh, like a cast or a mold. It's like you make a mold, you pour in, you pour in, the, you pour in the materials to make a cast and a mold. It's almost, it, it brings to mind the, the concept of fashioning and forming a model. That, that's what the word image means. And that word likeness, it means uh, to look like, but it doesn't just mean to look like. It means, it, it also has this component to it that, uh, that carries creativity with it. And it means to sketch. So God, when he, was, when he was creating mankind, when he was creating you and I, he, he, he cast himself, made a mold, cast himself, and it, and, it, and it became like you. And then also, it wasn't just that, but he, 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 took, he took the essential outline of himself, if I can say that, and he sketched it into reality, and that'd be you and I. And so what does it mean to bear the image, and what does it mean to bear the likeness of God? It means that we're like him. It means that we look like him. It means that essential traits that are only in God, have been passed into us. Now, this, there's a scripture I want to show you right here that blows me away. How many of y'all just skip the genealogies usually? You go, genealogy, next chapter, bam, quick Bible reading, all right? Here we go. This was in a genealogy, Genesis chapter 5. I've highlighted some key words here. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And when they, were created, him, him, when, he, when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had his son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means, it, means, it, it, means, it means the same thing as when a father and a mother get together and they have a child. Those essential traits, there, there, are, there, are, there are qualities and traits that get passed from mother and father into children. Same thing happened when human beings were created. Incredible traits were passed from God and put into people. See, here's the deal. My son, River, my son, River, he, he looks like me. Of, of, of the three kids that I have, I've got River, I've got Seth, I've got Magnolia. River looks like me. Seth, we don't know who he looks like. He looks more like Heather's sister, which is really strange. <laughs> and, um, and, and Maggie looks like, looks like Heather. Not only, not only does River look like me, but of the three kids, he acts like me. Not only that, but not only does River look like me and act like me, but River is also the kid of my three that likes the same things that I like. See, it, it, something, something of my image got passed into all three of those kids, but man, it's really showing up in, it's really showing up in River. How many of y'all know who this is? Anybody in the room know who this is? Petey. Every, gold star to Petey. This is, this is Danny Harrison. Any, everybody remember uh, George Harrison? All right, look, look, okay, this is his son. Hang on. That's George. Let's go back. Do they look like or what? It's unbelievable. Can, can I tell you something crazy about Danny Harrison? Not only does he look exactly like his father, guess what he does for a living? Plays guitar and sings. Guess this, this and this is the crazy thing. When you hear Danny Harrison sing, it sounds like George Harrison singing. Why? George Harrison passed his image into his son. 
What's the point? The point is we are image carriers. We are image carriers. Every single person in the room is an image carrier, an image bearer of God. And there have been essential divine qualities passed from God into human beings. You're not just the dirt. You're not just dust that's in the ground. You're not just, you're not just a bag of bones. You're not just blood pumping from a heart. There's something more there. God passed, God passed something when he made you. The other thing I want to say about, about this is, about sons and fathers and how images get made. Think about that scripture in, in Genesis chapter 5 when, when, when it said that Adam was 130 years old and he had a son in his likeness and in his image and he named him Seth. H- how did Adam have Seth? How did Seth come to be? Seth came to be from an intimate relationship between Adam and Eve, right? Here's the deal. Image, being an image bearer, it's not just that God, God willed something, but, but bearing the image of God, it was the result of, of intimacy. Image always comes from intimacy. It, that's the only place that it comes from. Image and likeness are the result of Im- intimacy and care. Up to this point in creation, God had just simply spoken creation. But when he, when he decided to make Adam and when he decided to form him, what did he do? God got involved himself. He didn't speak it into being. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. There was an intimate encounter between God the Father. He comes down. He grabs, the, he grabs the soil. We don't know if he grabs it in his hands. We don't know how that works. But what we know is that he formed man. And when he formed man, he put him in the perfect shape. I want to, I want to talk about that just for a second. Here's the deal. Do you guys realize that your body is the perfect design of the Father in heaven to, to, to do his purpose in the earth? Like, here's the deal. You realize God makes all kinds of creatures. I was watching Discovery Channel the other day, and... Yeah, I know, huh? Imagine that, right? Imagine that, right? I was watching Discovery Channel, and, and the kids and I were watching this show about, like, giant squid. Have you all seen that one? Okay, there are squid at the bottom of the ocean. They don't even know how long they are. There, there are some that are, the, the tentacles from the top to bottom are nearly 100 feet long, okay? And they have all kinds of tentacles. And on the tentacles, there are these suckers, and each sucker is like a mouth with teeth in it. Have you seen it? It's just a crazy, here's the deal. What's the point? The point is this. God could have designed you any way that he wanted to, but there's something about this body and this frame that's the perfect design. He formed you. There was an intimate encounter. Not only that, but he breathes the breath of life into you. And when God breathed the breath of life into Adam, he became more than just a form that looked in some way like God, but he became, he, became, he became like God on an invisible level. See, here's the deal. Our bodies are the, are the physical architecture of God, but he didn't just do that. He breathed life into us, and when he breathed life into us, he awoke things that are invisible that still reflect his nature. It's what I would call the invisible architecture, Okay? I want to go quickly through these. When God created us, he gave us a consciousness. What does that mean? 
it means that we it means that we're aware of our own selves on the inside it means that we have a mind and that every single person in the room right now is carrying on an internal dialogue with themselves and we're aware of it no other no other, no other animal, no other, no other part of creation has a consciousness. No other part of creation has, has, a, has an internal, internal awareness like human beings do. Some of you, some of you it, it's not just an internal awareness, but it's, it's thoughts, it's feelings, it's emotions. There's an internal architecture to what it means to be human. Some of you, some of you are thinking right now. It's, it's the thinking process. Thinking, that, man, this, this message is long, and I feel like that it would be great if it would be over so that I could go home and take the nap that I planned to do. Those thoughts, those are, all, those are all representative of the fact that you were created by God and he gave you a consciousness. You're, you're awake on the inside. Not only that, but he gave you free will. He gave you free will. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a free will. He said, hey guys, there's one tree. Don't go eat out of that one. Do anything else you want. And that's what they've done. There, there are certain, there are certain uh, philosophers these days who have tried their very best to tell us that that free will is an illusion. It's an illusion. We've all drank the Kool-Aid, but free will is an illusion. Here's the deal. Free will is absolutely not an illusion. Think of it this way. This afternoon, most of you are probably going to go to Garcia's. When you go to Garcia's, the waiter is going to come up to you, and he's going to say, what do you want? And at that point, you're not going to look at your friends sitting across the table and go, well, I'm a determinist. I'm not going to say anything. I'll just let him bring whatever he wants. No. He gave us the power of choice. He gave us free will. And I want to point out something. It's true about these two and everyone that's going to follow. Every one of these reflect God. God is the ultimate mind, the ultimate conscious, the ultimate spiritually aware person in the universe, and he passes it to people. He gives us free will. God is the ultimate power, the ultimate sovereign in the universe. He counsels no one. He does what he wants. And what does he give to us? Free will. See, there's, 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 a, there's a part of the image of God that, get, that keeps getting placed into people. He gives, us a, he gives us rationality. He gives us a mind that's not just aware, but he gives us a rationale. We're able to, we're able to gather facts, collect them, and discern truth from them. God is, is the ultimate rational being in the universe, and when he created man and woman, he made other rational beings as well. Value, value. This is one I really want to talk about for a second. How many of you guys realize that human beings have intrinsic value? How many of you realize that, that even people who are mentally deformed and even people who are physically deformed still have intrinsic value? Why do they have intrinsic value? Because they were created by God. Okay, obvious, right? Have you ever wondered why that we don't just do away with people who have mental deformities or physical deformities? Have you, ever know, have you ever wondered why human beings don't do that? See, evolutionary biologists, they talk about this, and, and it's, it's one of the things that puzzles them, and it's one of the answers that they've been unable to put their finger on. Why don't human beings simply get rid of the weaker ones? We don't because we have the image of God, and we realize that every single person, even, even, the, most, even the most disabled, not only that, but even the most deranged, even the person, even the person who has fully embraced wickedness, we, we, we still realize that there's something in that person that is valuable. And so we're very slow, we're very slow to, and, and careful with how we manage people. Have you ever noticed that? See, other species are not like this. It says something about, it says something about God. What is, what's the point? The point is, how many of you realize that God is a valuable being? 
in all of the universe. See, so when he, when he set his image on us, one of the things that got translated was value. What, what was formed and what was made was something of value. He, he put into people creativity. God is a creator. Everything he speaks just jumps to life. And, and his creation is a creation of creators as well. One of my favorite things to do is Anytime Heather and I go to a big city, we always mark out time to go to at least one museum and check out some of the masters. Have you guys ever seen like Picasso paintings? Have you ever seen a real Picasso? It's unbelievable. How many of you have ever seen a real Van Gogh? I'm telling you, I've seen real Van Gogh several times and every single time I've come into the room, a lot of times, uh, in Chicago anyway, they have one of my favorite Van Goghs. They have, a, they have one of his self-portraits. He did a lot of self-portraits, but they have one of my favorites. And it's the, it's the one where his beard is really red. You guys know that one? He's got his little straw hat on. Okay, that painting is not big, okay? It's like this big, self-portrait of Van Gogh. And it's in a room with lots of other paintings. And there's something about it. As soon as you go in the room, where does your eye fall? There, nothing else. I mean, there's, there's, other, there's masterpieces worth more than my life in the room with the Van Gogh. And I instantly am drawn to the Van Gogh. Why? Because there was a creative spark, a creative genius that was unrepressible in that man I'm blown away I love it God has made us every single one of us creative here's the deal there's there's a lie that the the devil would love to just sow into people and 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 he's done it really well and and it's the lie that says well you know because I'm linear or because because I like numbers I'm not creative that's a lie every single person in here was designed by God to release creativity you know you may not be a painter but you're probably a problem solver you know and there's not a problem that can ever be solved without creativity being on board. You're reflecting God. God designed us with morality. Here's one of the things about people. When people, uh, when, when people are compared to, to other, other species that are out there, we're the only ones that demonstrate a morality. What does that mean? Well, one example. When, uh, when, when people are hanging out together, one of the things that will significantly happen almost any time if there's someone who's in need the other ones will rally around to help that person why if I ask someone why why would we do that the answer would be because it's the right thing to do why is it the right thing to do I don't know it just is right and you know maybe after some conversation we could locate why it's the right thing to do but but God made us with a with a morality to do the right thing and to help people even when helping people isn't going to directly benefit us. You guys have seen the pictures of Haiti this week? Okay, these are people who need help. Um, I, was, uh, I was listening to NPR the other day while they were doing some coverage on, on the, the earthquake, and they threw out a number that blew my mind. Number one, uh, Barack Obama has already promised the nation of Haiti hundreds of millions of dollars, Okay. You know why? Because the United States is the most generous nation on the, on the planet. But, but, but even apart from that, they threw out this other number, that private American citizens, they were expecting private American citizens to give to the nation of Haiti more than $200 million over the next year. Why? Because we're generous people, because it's the right thing to do, because morality is built in. You know, here's the deal. Um, when, when you, you can go, have you ever, guys ever seen the monkeys at the, at the zoo? <laughs> I love watching the monkeys at the zoo. But they'll, they'll throw the food out there to the monkeys at the zoo, and what do they do? They go and grab it, you know, and they'll, and they'll eat it. And then 
not only do they eat it, but like if, if there's a monkey here and a monkey right here and they're both eating it, like this monkey will eat his and then like knock the other monkey and grab his food, right? It's just, it's just survive or die. When That's not how we were made. We were made with a morality. We were made with an ability to communicate. And not just any ability to communicate, but we were made with an ability to communicate with God. In the process of God creating man and woman, in verse 28, chapter 1, right in the middle of this whole process of God creating, it's, the Bible records that God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. You realize that at this point, God has never spoken to any other part of his creation. What's the point? The point is this, that when God created man and woman, when he created mankind, he hardwired us with an ability to respond to his voice. You guys ever listen to those, like, those, uh, those videos or, or those little sound bites of, of whales, like, singing to one another? Yeah. Any, any of you guys ever understand what the whales are saying? No. no. See, whales can sing, and who understands it? The other whales, okay? God speaks, and who understands it? We do. See, we're hardwired to hear and to respond to God. All right, let's look at some verses here because I want to move into application. That was all heavy sledding, but we're going to get into application. I'm going to read two verses to you, and I want you to pay very careful attention to the similarities in these two verses. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, look at this one. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. What's the same? Ruling. Ruling. That's really what I wanted to get to this morning. Being image bearers, being people who who reflect the image and the likeness of God, it manifests itself in one major way, and that is ruling. What was God's design? What was God's plan for the earth? God's design and plan for the earth was to put mankind into the earth and let mankind run the show. Let me say it this way. How many of you guys are ruling in life? How many of you? Here's the deal. If, if you're not ruling in life, if you're not bringing heaven's reality into the earth, you will live a life of disappoint, a disappointment, discouragement, and despair. Because you were made to rule. I want to talk about what it means to be rule, a ruler with God, though. This is what it means to rule with God. The Lord God took man, he took Adam, and he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. How many of you, how many of you when we talk about ruling, think of, I'm going to be boss, I'm going to tell everyone what to do, 
get in line or get out of the way, right? Why? Because Jesus, Jesus points out, points out a, a really important reality. He says the Gentiles, he's, when he's teaching some of his disciples, he says, look, man, he's teaching them about leadership and about, and about being the big dog. And Jesus looks at him and goes, man, guys, you don't understand. The Gentiles, their view of, of leadership is to, is to lord it over people, you know? And so when we start talking about ruling, the first thing that our minds jump to is being the boss, being the dog, big dog, telling everyone what to do, get in line, where to go, and how to go there, right? But that's not God's idea of ruling at all. All over the first chapter of Genesis, we see that God makes man and woman, and he makes them in his image and in his likeness. And anytime, you talk, anytime God talks about his image and his likeness, the after effect of that is for that man and that woman to rule everything in the earth, And then here we get to chapter 2. We see that God's plan was for man to rule the earth, but his ruling looks like this. It was to put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it, and to take care of it. How many of you guys want to work something and take care of something? I'm telling you, if you want to rule in life, it means working something and taking care of something. See, when God gave Adam and Eve, when he gave them the authority to rule, what he gave them was the authority to care. He gave them the authority to care. Can I tell you what the world needs? The world needs people who are empowered with the authority to care. Can I tell you what Haiti needs this morning? See, what the Haitians need right now is they they need thousands of people who feel empowered with the authority to care. You know what your next door neighbor with cancer needs? Your next door neighbor with cancer needs you to be empowered with the authority to care and to demonstrate a better reality that there is no cancer in heaven so there isn't any on earth. I'm going to hit this a little bit more. Yeah, heaven's rule and heaven's rule isn't dominion in the sense of conquering and domination. It's the authority to care and tend. I want to I teach you guys a little bit something else about authority. There are two things that always go together. Anytime, anytime you have authority, you know what authority implies? Replies responsibility every single time. Let's go back to our, our battle plan image. You're a general. You're at the top. You're a four-star general in the army. You can tell everyone in the army where to go, how to go there, and what kind of smile to wear on their face as they're going there, right? Why can you tell everybody in the army where to go, how to get there, and the smile to have on their face while they're going? Because you're responsible for them. Here's the thing. You have no authority if you have no responsibility. You have no authority unless you have responsibility. Why is it that the elders and the pastors at this church have authority in this church? Because they're responsible for you guys. What are they responsible for? They're responsible to care and to tend for you. What is it that you're responsible for? God wants to give you, a, God wants to give you kingdom rule and authority over the neighborhoods, the schools, the workplaces, and the families that he's planted you into. That was his plan from the very beginning. So kingdom rule isn't simply telling people what to do. How many of you guys realize, how many of you guys are parents, how many of you guys realize 
that as a parent, your job isn't to tell your kids what to do. I'm going uh, to turn some apple carts over this morning. How many of you realize that it's not your job to tell your kids what to do? As a parent, you know what it is your job to do? It is your job to make sure that they succeed. It's your job to make sure they're cared for and that they succeed. Caring for them and taking care of, t- caring for them and making sure that they succeed will oftentimes require that you tell them what to do. But your job is not to tell them what to do. It's to make sure that they succeed. That's what kingdom care looks like. Jesus says the rulers in this life, they lord, they, they lord their authority over. Not so in my kingdom. Some of you guys are probably thinking, well, what about the fall? Didn't that screw it up? Didn't that screw up the image? Didn't that, didn't that, didn't that just wreck everything? Didn't, you know, didn't we lose all that stuff you've been talking about? Look at this picture up here. Tell me what that is. What? I can't hear you. What is it? Corvette. Stephen, you said that was a Corvette, right? But it's wrecked, Stephen. How do you know it's a Corvette? Because you know cars. Here's the deal. Just because, just because Adam and Eve sinned, just because there was a fall in the garden, just because the, the image got marred, it didn't completely destroy the image. How many of you are aware that that was a Corvette? It's a wrecked Corvette, but that is a Corvette. You would know those taillights anywhere, right? The little circle taillights, you know those suckers. Yeah, see, it's the same thing with you and I. The image of God has been marred in humanity, but it has not been destroyed. Even people who do not know God, even people who militate and hate God, still maintain the image of God, and they're valuable. Here's the good news, and here's the point. The point is this. You liked that, didn't you? The point. I liked it too. The point. The point is this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. What does this sound like? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What does that sound like? Jesus is the perfect image of God who ever walked on the planet. He is God, right? Not only that, I want you to notice something. Jesus is the perfect image of God. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What is it that goes with image? What did we just talk about? Ruling. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven, where he what? Rules. Why does Jesus rule? Because he has authority to rule. Why does he have authority to rule? Because he's responsible to rule. How did he rule? He ruled by caring and tending the garden. What's the point? We have an older brother who has restored the image. That's the point. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is God's plan for you? God's plan is to restore image in you and for you to be conformed to the perfect image that is his son, Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to be the solution. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has image. God's plan is to restore image 
perfectly into you by you being conformed to his son. Jesus' plan, Jesus' plan was to be the solution. And so he shows up, he shows up motivated by God's love for the world. What is it that Jesus would have us do? It's Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. What's the point? The point is that every person in this room has been perfectly designed by God to rule today, not when you die, but to rule today by showing, that, by showing the kingdom of heaven. You were perfectly created and designed by God to release the kingdom of the heavens into the earth today. You, you were perfectly designed and created by God to be, to be a, a caring and tending agent for everyone around you. God has created us with all the faculties that we need to bring heaven to the earth. So here's the deal. Most people, most people, and we talk about this a lot, but most people live their entire lives trying to avoid the earth and get into heaven. Most people live their entire lives disappointed, thinking that when I get to heaven, it's going to be better. I'm telling you right now, Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundantly. And he's talking about today. He was not talking about when you die. The good news is you can have it in both places. We're, we're called to demonstrate that reality today. Not only that, but you, but you sitting in the chair, you can just put your hand on your heart. Me. I've been given the faculties. I, I, I was created with the faculties that it takes to be God's solution in the earth. Amen? Amen. I think I said what I wanted to say. Ministry team, why don't y'all come up?